You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. This week's sermon is taught by lead pastor Benjamin Emery. Well, my name's Benjamin. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, if you're visiting, welcome. Hope we get to uh, see you or speak to you, pray for you before you go. I encourage you to pick up a Bible if you want. If you don't own a Bible, we want you to take the one in the seat in front of you as our gift to you. There's also a place in the bulletin to make notes in the middle um, to follow along. There's pens, should be pens in the front of your seats. So I want to be talking today about a very important issue. As I uh, transition out of my role um, at the end of the summer, um, got a lot of things to think about. Um, it's a big time for Calvary. Uh, it's, a, it's a great time for Calvary as well because it can be, although it's sad, uh, it's an exciting time because this can be a catalyst uh, for God to take Calvary to the next uh, level, the next places to go, the next phase um, of its life. We've had a wonderful time the last eight years, uh, but those times end. But God is not done with his church because God doesn't build his church off of one person. And so it can be a great time where Christians, the Christians of Calvary, the ones who call this their home church, uh, show that the church is not built off one person, uh, that it is thriving, that it's going to thrive, that you're going to continue to follow God's word, that you're going to continue to hold him up um, as the savior of the world. You're going to continue to share the good news with people in the community. It can be a great time. Uh, Or it can be a horrible time. Uh, Sometimes uh, when pastors transition out, uh, the people allow Satan to have a foothold in the church. Uh, When people's personalities, when people's pride and their preferences uh, take over, instead of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, uh, Satan is allowed to do some work. I'm praying uh, for the first for this church. And I think if we look to God's word together today, we can see the path forward. We can see what you should be looking for and praying for in your new lead pastor as uh, the search committee seeks that man out. And before I uh, go into it, let's pray together. God, we we know uh, in your providence that you saw this uh, coming that you knew uh, that I had a certain amount of time here, that you brought me in for a certain uh, season, and that you have, uh, we trust, another man uh, to step in place as the lead pastor. We know that Calvary is a great place because the people love you and they follow you, not because of one person, and that you've sent many great leaders here, many awesome men and women uh, who serve here, many awesome people who are part of the congregation. And so we thank you for that. We thank you for them. I thank you for them. And so I pray that we would look today to your word uh, to see what should we should be looking for, um, what the congregation be, should be looking for in their next pastor. And help me, a simple man, um, to talk about what is uh, so plain and evident in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, um, if you know politics, you would know that the President of the United States or the Prime Minister, uh, they have special powers. And in the U.S., it's called executive privilege. 
Uh, in Canada, um, it's, it's called the Emergency Acts. Um, essentially, uh, it's, it's a time when the president can say, uh, because of national security reasons or, or because this would uh, in some way affect uh, the governing, I'm not going to disclose uh, some things that I've done. Now, take that as you want. That could be bad or that could be uh, good. Um, each situation is different. Dwight D. Eisenhower, uh, President Long and Dead, he actually used executive privilege over 3,200 times. Uh, so you can see that some use it a lot. Obama used it 14 times, and some use it, or some use it a little, some use it a lot. I've never used uh, executive privilege at Calvary before. Uh, until now, I actually last week uh, decided to use executive privilege. Uh, privilege. And uh, I did this uh, because I decided I knew what was better um, for the church. Um, I didn't do it for my own personal agenda, uh, but I bypassed the church constitution um, and I installed uh, my own pastoral search committee. Because I know that there's some people in the church that think they know what would be best uh, for the next pastor, for whoever that is to be. But I actually know better than them, so I've decided to override them in the Constitution. <clears throat> and so I, I had a secret meeting last week, and I, and I had this uh, group come forward, and, and we discussed, uh, just me and the four of them, uh, who the next pastor should be. And so we've uh, pretty much uh, outlined uh, who that will be. And so I want to just take a minute and introduce you to who those four people are. Um, one of them is named Peter. Uh, Peter is an accomplished fisherman. Uh, he has held many positions amongst church leadership. He was uh, head of the apostles. Uh, uh, he's known for putting his foot in his mouth. Uh, he's a husband and a father. Um, and he actually denied Jesus three times. But then, uh, later down the road, he actually gave his life for the Lord. And he redeemed any of the wrongs that he had done. The second member, a little more articulate, a little smarter than uh, Peter. His name is Paul. Paul. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, he asked to read me to read his own bio because I guess uh, he knows his best. He's very well spoken. Uh, he wrote this about himself. He, he was circumcised on the eighth day. Uh, I don't know why that's in there, but it's in there. Um, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. Uh, he was full of zeal, persecuting the church. As to righteous in the law, he was faultless. This guy had it all. He was also single all of his life. Uh, he was a church planner, the greatest missionary uh, in church history, and he too gave his life uh, for Jesus. The third member, a little younger, got to bring in some fresh blood. Uh, his name's Timothy. He was raised by his mother and his grandmother, taught the Christian faith, uh, recruited by Paul in his teens. Uh, so never say that someone is too young uh, for the ministry. He became the pastor of the church in Ephesus. And he served there his whole life, and then he gave his life as well. He was martyred in Ephesus uh, in his senior years. A lot of church experience. I think he'll be helpful in helping us determine who that next lead pastor is. And then uh, we fired Gary. Taylor is no longer the chair of the committee. We fired him, and we brought in somebody else. His name is uh, Jesus Christ. He is the son of the living God. He is the chief shepherd. He is the word of God. Uh, he is God in the flesh. He is the one who gave his life uh, for the sins of the world. This is your new search committee. So Forget about those ballots you just handed in. Those are obsolete because we already had the meeting. 
And so uh, I'm just going to lay out for you the, uh, the transcript. Uh, Jeanette was here. She wasn't allowed to talk, but she was here, and she, she recorded it all, my conversation with the four of them last week uh, when you were not invited. So here we go. I, I introduced, I said, thank you, gentlemen, f- uh, so much for agreeing uh, to, to stand as the search committee. Uh, I know you all had many things to do, uh, uh, but I have a series of questions for you to give us guidance. Uh, who should this uh, next lead pastor be? I, I want to know from you, Jesus, you are the, the Son of God, so you know best, um, and you two, Peter and Paul, uh, you did write the new part of the New Testament, so you have some say. And Timothy, uh, you've pastored so long, we want to hear from you. And so, uh, Jesus, I, I open it up. You are the, uh, the head of the search committee, so why don't you start it off? Uh, Jesus, who should we have? What's the most important skill, I said, that this pastor should have? Should he be a... a, a jazzy preacher? Should he, he be able to, to carry a crowd? Should, should he be able to change his pitch at, at any level? Should he be flashy, wear a three-piece suit? Or, or should he wear tight jeans uh, to impress uh, the young people? Uh, should he have a doctorate, a master's degree? Uh, what should he have? What, should he be a counselor, somebody who can sit and, and uh, work through the deep emotions of the congregation? What's the most important skill that this person should have I asked Jesus but Jesus deferred Uh, he simply pointed to uh, Paul and Paul seemed really eager he was squirming like a like a child who really wanted to answer a question and so I said okay uh, Paul uh, um, it's deferred to you what is the number one skill and and before I could say and go on he said character character is the most important thing you want to look for in your new lead pastor. Uh, I wrote about it, Paul said. Well, God helped me to write about it in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, and in Titus uh, chapter, uh, chapter 5 and 9. Uh, but, but I said, wait a second here, Paul. Before we go on, before we, we read what you've said, uh, this is uh, 2023. This is, this is not uh, the days when you were alive. We have uh, what we call celebrity uh, preachers here in uh, North America, in Canada. Uh, he kind of looked at me with a puzzled look. A celebrity preacher, uh, that's uh, somebody who the people hold up as, as some sort of extra special person. Um, and isn't it important that we kind of find somebody who's going to impress people? And you're saying that character is more important than skill. We need somebody who can, who can really like keep people hooked, don't we? Uh, somebody who's got all the education, don't we? Don't we need somebody who, who, who's got tattoos and, and who's going to question all the, the fundamental doctrines that Christians have believed for 1,900 years because that's the thing to do? Uh, don't we need someone who's going to tell people, oh, God wants to make you rich and make your life nice and easy? Uh, don't we need somebody like that at Calvary? But Peter, Paul just looked at me and said, character. That is the most important thing. Character outweighs gift and skills. A man with a God-directed character uh, but has mediocre skill is more valuable than somebody with mediocre character and all the gifts in the world. And maybe, he said, you aren't seeing, Ben, that the model you guys are using in North America, it's not really working. 
You kind of are having all of these celebrity pastors, or many of them having moral failures. They're kind of being built up, and, and they're replacing me as the one people are looking to instead. So I, I wrote, Paul says, to Timothy, and I told him, this is the character of the man you want to look for. He says in 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 7, This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires noble work. An overseer, therefore, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectful, hospitable, able to teach, not an accessible, excessive drinker, not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy. He must manage his own household competently and have his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage their own household, how will he take care of God's church? He must not be a new convert or he might become conceited and, and incur the same condemnation as the devil. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation amongst outsiders so that he does not fall into the disgrace and temptation of the devil's trap. Then I wrote to Titus, he said, and, and told him about character. This reason I left you in Crete... Uh, was to set right what was undone. And as I directed you to appoint elders in every town, an elder must be blameless, a husband of one wife, with faithful children who are not accused of wildness or rebellion. As an overseer of God's household, he must be blameless, not arrogant, not hot-tempered, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, not greedy for money, not host or sorry, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled holding to the faithful message as taught so that he will be able to encourage with sound teaching and refute those who contradict. Okay, I said. So you're saying character is more important. Yeah, character is more important. Uh, but I said, what if we hire a guy who's got great character? He's upright. Uh, he's, he's morally uh, given over to God, uh, but the people aren't pizzazzed by his preaching, and, and some of them leave. Uh, don't we want numbers in the church? Don't we want people who are just sort of there for the show? No, Paul said. We don't want that. And if they leave, let them go, because it shows that they weren't here for the right reasons. If a pastor's integrity is there, and their heart is there, and their desire is to follow the Lord... But they're not like David Jeremiah, or they're not like Matt Chandler. That's okay. Your pastor is to be an example, an example of a man who loves God and who walks upright. He, he doesn't have to have perfect kids because there are no perfect kids. He doesn't have to be perfect himself because none of us are perfect. His wife doesn't have to serve on all the committees. But the, what the family should do is the family should just be committed to living the Christian life the best that they can. That person has to have integrity to stand against evil, against injustice, to be a shepherd of the people. This pastor should be respected, not only in the church, but outside of the church. Because outside of the church is a lot of the time when the real person comes out. So character first, I said. Anything else, Paul? Keeping in mind, we, we only have a certain amount of time. It's not like you, when you were young, Paul, and people preached for three or four hours. In North America, an hour and ten minutes after that, people kind of get bored and they, they need to go home for lunch. It's a little bit different. So let's wrap it up, Paul. And, and Paul had a few more things to say. Number two, after character, Paul wanted to bring up, they should be able to teach and train. 
He wrote about this in Ephesians 4, uh, verses 11 to 13. He says, And he himself, God that is, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. What is their purpose? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with stature measured by Christ's fullness. And I just said, hold the phone. Paul, you are telling me that it's not a pastor's job to do everything themselves while the congregation watches? You mean they're not supposed to wear 15 hats that they're to train up, teach the congregation so that they go out there and do the work of the ministry? That's not the North American model. Well, the model is wrong, Paul said, the North American model. He said, you have this game called baseball here. I've been watching from heaven. And in baseball, remind me, does the coach bat and pitch and play first base and outfield and shortstop and run the bases as well? No. The coach's job is coach, to train. It's the team's responsibility to play the game. And so in the Bible, it's the pastor's job to train up, to teach, so that the congregation can go out there and can do the work of the ministry in here. Everyone has a position to play. <laughs> I just looked at him dumbfounded. Huh? Wow. Amazing. Amazing. That, that, that might help pastors to be more interested in actually being pastors and to be sustained longer. Because did you know, I said to Paul, there's a, a shortage of pastors in, in Canada. The, the biggest shortage there ever has been in the history of Canada. In, I said to him, in, in fellowship, in Feb, we have denominations, I said, in, in this place called Canada, or in Canada, and uh, there's 39 churches looking for senior pastors in Ontario alone. Not to mention all the other denominations. Seminary enrollment is down 30% in the last five years. But if they knew it wasn't their job to do everything, but just to faithfully teach the congregation, well, that might change things. So I have one more question for you, uh, Paul. Sometimes people want the pastor to be like them. They want a, a version of them. So that version of them will tell them what they want to hear and, and will kind of be like their, their best pal. What would you say? Would you say that's what they're to do? They're to, to just kind of be like one of them or they should have a pastor like them. And if the pastor isn't like them, they should not vote for him. And again, Paul kind of looked at me with, with odd eyes and said, <clears throat> well, I see a pastor more as a watchman. As a, as, a, as a shepherd watching for danger. I wrote about this in Acts chapter 20, verse 28 to 31, when I said to the church in Ephesus, be on guard for yourselves and for the, all the flock which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Because I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, Men will rise up even from your own number and distort the truth to lure the, the disciples into following them. Therefore, be alert. Remembering that day and night for three years, I never stopped warning each one of you with 
tears. <clears throat> and again, I was a bit taken back. I, I said to Paul, so you're saying that not everyone who comes into a church or even people who are pastors are really followers of Jesus Christ. You're saying that sometimes Satan sends plants. They sound like a Christian. They look like the Christian. They can even speak the words, but they're really wolves? Yeah, that's what I'm saying, Paul said. Jesus said that, that they come in dressed like sheep, but inside they're ravenous wolves. He says you'll know them by their fruit, the evidence of their life. Maybe not their church life, but if you look into their home life, if you look at what they're really doing out there, you'll start to see what kind of a person they really are. And so watch out. You want a leader, a pastor who's going to watch out for those wolves, who isn't oblivious, who doesn't, who doesn't necessarily take everything everyone says as gospel to care for them, especially the precious little children. And so then I turned to Timothy. Timothy, you were trained by this man. I'm sure that wasn't easy. Could you tell me some of the wisdom? And then you're a pastor for, what, 30-something years? Wow, that is impressive. Can you tell us uh, what you would want in a lead pastor? Well, Timothy said he should be able to preach able to preach. For Paul wrote to me in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he said to me, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season to correct, to rebuke, to encourage with great patience and teaching. So your pastor, he said, doesn't need to be the world's best preacher. But he should never step into the pulpit without having properly prepared. He should be reading the Bible for himself. He should be studying it. He should be praying about it. He should be practicing. He wants to do the best job that he can do, and the Holy Spirit will help him where he can. That's why James said, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. God will hold pastors accountable whether they're following his word or they're just making it up as they go. Well, I, <clears throat> I said to Timothy, again, times have changed. I know you've been gone for a little while, but we have these things called, we have this thing called media. Media, it's hard. Don't try and understand it. But <clears throat> the seniors, they love to watch Daystar and Vision. Daystar and Vision, he looked at me. Yeah, just go with it. Daystar and Vision. It's these TV shows, where channels where they watch all their favorite pastors. So they love David Jeremiah and, and Charles Stanley and, and Chuck Swindoll, uh, great preachers. And the young people, they like their YouTube and their Spotify where they, re, they watch uh, Matt Chandler and Stephen Furtick and, and Matt uh, and <clears throat> Heiser and, and Chan. They See, what they do nowadays, it's different than your days. Uh, in your days, the the people only heard you and the elders, is, is they watch their favorites, these like world-class pastors, and then they compare those world-class pastors to the local pastor. And they say, oh, I wish my pastor could preach like so-and-so. I'm really not happy with my local pastor because they're not so-and-so. You know, it's kind of like I said, going to the keg for a steak, a nice juicy steak, and then waking up and having boiled hot dogs for breakfast like there's no comparison because they're the best but they have access to the best 
How would you say pastors are to deal with that? Because that's a lot of pressure. And that's, that's part of the reason why, why men don't want to go into it. It's so much pressure, so much expectations the people will place on them. They'll say, I, I, you know, that didn't really speak to me. I really don't agree with what they said. That wasn't deep enough for me. That was too deep for me. It's hard. Timothy just responded in, in a calm, seasoned pastor-like and said, all I can say is what Paul said to me, which is preach the word, be ready in season and out of season to correct, to rebuke, to encourage with great patience and teaching. That's his job. Not to impress everyone, not to just try and come up with a sermon so they won't leave the church and go find another one, just to preach faithfully what God has already given them. That's challenging enough in itself, because sometimes what God says is not what people want to hear, and yet it's the pastor's job to say it anyways. And so I asked him, <clears throat> should the pastor try and be everyone's friend? Uh, when I came here, I said the church is about 60 people, um, and so I was really able to get to know everyone and build relationships with them, but it's grown over time, and, and so now we're roughly, you know, 260, 280. Should the new pastor be expected to, to be everyone's friend and, and get to know them in the same way that I did? And again, he looked at me and said, no, <clears throat> no, he, he shouldn't try and be everyone's friend because it's impossible to get to be every, 260 people's friend. But he said, look what Paul wrote to me again in First Tim, Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. You, therefore, my son, be strong in grace that is in Jesus Christ. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. See, your new lead pastor, who said, uh, it's, there's too many people. He needs to train up other people who are then going to go train up other people. That's going to be his role. He can't know everyone in the same way that you did when you first came here. No, his job is to raise up other leaders, and those leaders will care for each other. And that way, no one will fall through the cracks. He'll be able to be more sustainable through the years. That's Jesus' model. Jesus came to the earth, the Son of God, and chose 12 men immediately. And he started to train those 12 men. And they had another group called the disciples, the apostles. There's disciples. There was men and women in that group who he was giving more extra time to. But then beyond that, he would meet with the crowds. And he would teach to them and preach to them and care for them and pray for them and heal them and feed them. But then he would withdraw and spend weeks alone with his apostles and sometimes his disciples. That's the model for long-term church stability. That's the Jesus model. And so that's the model your new lead pastor is going to have to follow. One more thing, Timothy said. I got one more thing. He should be devoted to God first. To God first, not to people first. Let me read on what Paul wrote to me in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 to 6. He said, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. For no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So your new lead pastor should be devoted to God first before he tries to please everyone else. That is the greatest commandment. You should love the God, Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then love other people as yourself. 
And if he tries to please everyone, he's going to go insane. I said, yes, uh, I, that is one of my biggest weaknesses. I am a people pleaser, and it is way too much. My brain is constantly thinking about what's going on in here, and what's going on, and why is this person mad at me, and, and it's just too much. And Timothy said with that pastoral kindness, well, you see your fallacy now. And so as you move forward, you, you need to be fine with people being mad at you. Because if you focus on pleasing God, God's actually a lot more easy to please than human beings are. And if he's pleased with you, well, then everything else goes a lot better. Hmm. I just shook my head. I said, good advice. That would have been very helpful to know to have learned in Bible college. They should actually teach that. Thank you, Timothy. I said, are you looking for a new church? By the way, we're hiring. Um, But he said, no, thanks. Uh, I'm retired now, and I really don't like the bugs in Muskoka. So he's out. So then I turned to the apostle Peter, and I said, well, Peter, you've been quiet for a while. Uh, This is not actually like you. Aren't you the one that's usually speaking out first, kind of like me, saying things without thinking and then regretting saying those things later? Yeah, well, Peter says, I've matured over 1,900 years. So what's your advice? I said, well, he said, I got one, because I don't want Paul to say I talked longer than him, so I've got one for you. I wrote this to the church in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. He needs to lead with humility. He says, I will exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witnesses to the sufferings of Christ, as well as the one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, he will, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. All you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And, and Peter kind of looked at me with the, these really sincere eyes, and he said, you know what? It is my pride that almost destroyed me. It was my pride that almost took me to the brink of not coming back. And pride is what's bringing down so many pastors nowadays, thinking they're a step above everyone else. Pride will unfortunately bring down people in your congregation if they don't humble themselves. Humility is what the pastor needs to have. That he doesn't pretend he has it all together, that he can be vulnerable with the congregation, that he can uh, not think he's above walking in the messiness of human life with those entrusted to him, that when he's confronted about his own sin, because he will have his own sin, he's humble enough to say, you know what, you're right, and repent. That's what you need. That's what King David had. King David was an epic mess up. And yet he was a man after God's own heart. Why? Because he had humility. Psalm 139, verse 23 to 24. David said, search me, O God, and know my heart, and test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me to the everlasting way. You know, he said, when, when Jesus came and he chose us, he, he didn't choose 12 men who were all alike. And, and your lead pastor may be very different than you. 
but by the end, by when Jesus went home, 11 of us were the same in one area, that we were all walking in humility. We had all been humbled, but one of us stayed prideful, and it destroyed him, Judas. And so, if your people and your pastor walk in humility, then it will go well. If they keep their hearts moldable and soft, then it will go well. He said, I'm done now. And so I turned to the last, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And I I said, Lord, what's important in a lead pastor? What's important in a pastor? And, And of course, Jesus being told me a story. He said, this story is recorded in Matthew 17. It says, when they reached the crowd, a man approached and knelt down before me and said, Lord, have mercy on my son because he has seizures and suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire and often into water. I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. I replied, you unbelieving and perverse generation, how long will I be with you? Talking to his apostles. How long must I put up with you? Bring him here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him. And from that moment, the boy was healed. Then the disciples approached me and privately and said, Why couldn't we drive him out? Because of your little faith, I told them. For truly, I tell you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will tell this mountain move and from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Your next pastor needs to actually believe, to actually have faith. There are many so-called pastors with the name Reverend in front of them. They're well-educated, religious men and women who don't actually believe what they say they do. They don't actually believe that I was the perfect son of God, that I came to this earth, that I actually died for the sins of the world, that my word is actually true and reliable and trustworthy. They're making things up as they go, picking and choosing They don't actually have faith, and because they don't have faith, I won't bless them. And because I won't bless them, their churches are dying. The pastor needs to be a person, a man of faith and prayer, because a prayerless pastor is a powerless pastor. And why would you pray unless you believe? So that man needs to be a praying man. And his faith will be evident in his life. He won't walk by sight only. He'll walk by faith. Got two more for you, he said. You should, he should know the people. Know the people. It's recorded in John chapter 10, chapter 10, verse 14, when I said, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father. And I jumped in and said, but wait a second, didn't Paul say, you can't know everyone? And Hold on, he said. I didn't say he knows everyone intimately, deeply, but the the lead pastor should have a good wide range of and and know faces and and talk to people and, and know what they're going through in their lives the best that he can. He should be amongst the crowd on Sundays and at events. He should be hearing from the elders and the deacons and the lay people. This is what so-and-so is going through. He should be praying for them diligently. He should know them as, as human beings who are going through hard things. Last one, he said, and he should be sacrificial. Carry on in John 10, verse 15. For I lay down my life for my sheep. 
and I have other sheep, and they are not from my sheep pen, but I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock, one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, so that I will take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father again. Uh, An under-shepherd is someone who lays down their life for the people that have been entrusted to him. So first, he's sacrificial towards God. Second, he's sacrificial towards his wife if he's married. Next, he's sacrificial towards his children if he has children. Then he's sacrificial to the other leaders. Then he's sacrificial to the congregation. This is the biblical model. The pastor is not above others, but the pastor serves others. Look for a servant. And if your congregation is thinking biblically, Seeking me and not what they think in their own minds. Not trying to bring in the next TV evangelist. But someone who will be faithful. Then I will bring them a faithful pastor. And so, now that I step out of my imaginary conversation. I should have seen the look on some of your faces when I said I installed my own search committee. I want to say to you, Calvary. That God has given you everything you need to search for that new lead pastor. And so as you go and vote for members who the search committee members will be, be praying that they're looking for that pastor with a biblical mindset. That they're looking for a man who will train you to do the work of the ministry, who will watch over you, who will preach to you the best that he can, raise up leaders amongst you, be devoted to God first, walk in humility, live by faith, And live sacrificially. And if you do this, and when they bring that person to you to vote on, if you see these things in that person, not perfectly, but if you see they're trying to live these things, that pastor and you and all the other leaders that come in will continue to serve faithfully and the church will continue to grow and Gravenhurst will be blessed. Let's pray. God, thank you that... Although I was having an imaginary conversation with you, it's all in your word. You've laid it out for us. We don't need to guess. We don't need to borrow from culture. We'll just look for the person, for the man who desires to live for you, who loves your word, who cares for people, who lives sacrificially. Lord, I pray for the congregation uh, that as they wrestle with this, Um, And the time comes for them to vote, that they would vote with a biblical mindset. I pray for the search committee, that as they wrestle with this, that they would be thinking biblically, and that your spirit would guide them, and that this church would continue to thrive for decades and decades to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.